The Jewish people back then and even today followed dietary laws, dietary restrictions, as recorded back in the books of the law. Moses had delivered God's laws and rules and regulations about what to eat and what not to eat to the people of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness. Jewish people, even to Daniel's time, somewhere near 900 years later, were still following those laws. When you're taken to a foreign land, that doesn't excuse you from following after what God wants. And the king brings all these foods, who knows, right? Might have had a whole lot of things on the table that the Jewish people are not supposed to eat. One of the more uh, obvious things that Jewish people do not eat is they don't eat pork. They don't eat bacon. They don't eat ham. So what is young Daniel supposed to do? Let's just assume that there's this giant ham on the table. He's expected to eat it. He's got a choice. He's got a choice. His unexpected turn number two is being placed at a very young age into a situation where he's got to decide, do I kind of make some trouble? Excuse me, sir. Can you imagine, right? Excuse me, sir. I'm not supposed to eat this. What do you mean? You're in Babylon now, right? You're the king's young boy here. You're going to eat what we put in front of you, right? How would that go? A lot of young people would just keep their hand down and figure, I'm in a different land, I don't want to make any waves. Daniel doesn't do that. He is expected here by these Babylonians to violate the laws, his own laws. He doesn't do it. But it turns out for his good, he and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that we sometimes know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all four of them do not follow this opportunity that they've been given to eat the king's food. They eat something much more relaxed, much more probably nutritious that would allow them to follow God's laws. And after a period of time, they're in better shape than the people that ate all the king's food. So it turns out to their benefit. Unexpected choice two, I got to decide, unexpected turn two, the decision they make to do what God wanted them to do turned out for their benefit. Unexpected turn number three. This is some years later. In between turn two and turn three, a lot of things happened even to his friends that he had with him there at the start. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah got stuck in a situation. King Nebuchadnezzar had made a 90-foot-tall gold statue, probably gold-plated. be a whole lot of gold, 90 feet tall. And everybody in the kingdom when the instruments played were expected to bow down before the statue. Do you remember the story? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not. So it's pretty obvious the whole group of people out on the plain or the whole group of people in the city square, wherever they were, everybody all crouched down except for these three guys over here in the corner or in the middle of the plaza. They're still standing up. They get told that, by the way, maybe you misunderstood you're supposed to bow down when the horns go off, and we're not going to do it. So they get thrown into what we always may remember here as the fiery furnace. The fiery furnace, and they're not consumed. God saves them. Nebuchadnezzar realizes there's something to this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had faced a choice. We're not talking about them today. We're talking about Daniel. But they had faced a choice when there was a turn where they could take a turn and take an easy way or a hard way. Worked out well for them. Daniel 6 is toward the end of Daniel's life. 
This is roughly 70 years after he first came to Babylon. I'd always thought that when this happened that he was still that young man. And I always think of Daniel as a young teenager. No matter where he occurs in the book, I always think of Daniel as like a young teenager. But if you look at who this king is, Nebuchadnezzar's gone, and we're down to a long way toward the end of his life. Daniel's an old man. He's in his 80s. He's 80-something when this happens. So what's the deal? Well, look, this will be a couple of slides in the verses. Look at what the situation is. Daniel 6, 1 through 5. It pleased Darius to set up over the kingdom 120 satraps. That's probably some kind of governor, some kind of official, mayors, district governors, things like that. 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account that their king might suffer no loss. So Daniel is a big shot over big shots. He's one of three looking over these 120 district governors, these satraps, right? All because of Daniel's choices when he had a turn to show up before him in the past. <clears throat> then this Daniel became distinguished above the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. For all I know, he was positive all the time instead of griping and complaining. Uh, you want to get ahead in the workforce, try being a complainer all the time. You know, that, that doesn't really work. Uh, I don't know. It could also be God's spirits within him. It could be a more spiritual dimension. It could just be a positive attitude. We can always try that. The king plan to set him over the whole kingdom. <clears throat> the king plan to put Daniel over all of these people. Put him as the number one three people beneath him and all the satraps, the 120 down below. So this is going to generate some jealousy. Then the high officials in the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel regarding the kingdom. They don't like that this foreigner, right, Daniel is a foreigner, is, is getting such acclaim, he's getting such honor, he's getting such praise, he might end up being the boss, boss, second, maybe only to the king. So they're looking for some way to get Unfortunately, that's, that's a lot of human nature being exposed right there. People often will try to find dirt on people that they don't like. But they could not find any ground or complaint or any fault because he was faithful, in this case, situation to the king. He's doing what the king's asking him to do. There's nothing he's doing that's wrong. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for, for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Jewish people stood out. After all, they did not work on Saturday. Saturday the Sabbath was the day of rest. They didn't work on Saturday. That made, it pretty, made you look pretty different. When there was a big party, again, when they're eating, things like that, there were some things they didn't eat. They were different. And so they hit upon the idea that they're not going to find some duty he's not following through with. They hit upon the idea that we're going to have to get him because of his religion. We're going to have to find some way to get him because of his religion. <laughs> then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O oh, King Darius, live forever. Apparently, lying is not something that they were opposed to doing. There's not a lot of sincerity when you hear people say, O oh, King, live forever. Uh, so they come and say, O oh, flattery, O oh, King, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed, all of them, that's the second line, 
Daniel is not in agreement here. He's not one of these. All of, all of us, for one, are in agreement that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. What they want is 30 days where there's no god that's Worship. There's no prayer made to any God. There's nothing other than it's all going to be about you, King Darius. So the flattery is just like being poured all over the king. They've already said, oh, king, live forever. And it's like, we want everyone in the whole kingdom to pray and to praise and to worship you for 30 days. The king's going to think, pretty good idea. I kind of think I'm the big man anyway. It's a pretty good idea. I think we'll do this. But there's a lie here, right? All of the high officials, all of the satraps, Daniel's one of them. Daniel's not going to be in favor of this. He doesn't even know about it. They're doing this to set Daniel up. Now, Thurl had the next verse here in class this morning. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, Daniel hears, he knows what's going on. He hears that the king signs this 30-day moratorium. This 30-day period where nothing can occur other than worshiping King Darius, when he knew that that was the law of the land, he's got another unexpected turn. But he's got to figure out how to negotiate. He's got to figure out what to do. He's got two choices. For 30 days, he can not worship the God of Israel. He cannot worship and pray to the God that has guided him his whole life and only worship King Darius and only pray to King Darius like the rest of the kingdom, or he's going to violate the law and put himself at pretty great risk. Hard choice. Now this is the older man, but he's had some hard choices his whole life. When he knew, it wasn't that he did what he usually did and had no idea that the law had changed, he knew the law had changed. He knew what the law said. When he knew that it had been signed, what does he do? He went up to his house where he had windows of the upper chamber that were open toward Jerusalem. Would have been from the west, Babylon looking toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day, even as an old man. That's not always easy for an older person to get down on their knees. And he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He did not change what he apparently did Pretty much every day. Every day. Then these men, these satraps, these high officials, some group of them, came by agreement. They understood Daniel will be up there. He's always up there three times a day. I tell you what, let's let him get going. Then we'll just happen to knock on his door. Daniel, what are you doing? Did you not know? Can you imagine? Did you not know that the new law had been signed? Or they're looking to catch him. And they found Daniel making petition and plea before his own. Now, this sets in motion what happens that we know about with Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. I freely confess, I always thought of him as a young man thrown in the lion's den. This is an old guy. This is an old man being tossed down into the lion's den. The lions could easily have just you know, chopped him, right? what lions do to unprotected people, especially if they're hungry. There's a reason most of the time, right, if somebody's on a safari somewhere and there's lions around, they stay in their 
very much strong metal cars. They don't get out and go up, oh, nice king. You know, you don't do that. Daniel's put in this lion's den. King's upset. Daniel stays there all night. The king doesn't sleep. The king's worried about Daniel. He can't change his law. That was some peculiarity to the way that the laws of the, the Medes and the Persians and the Babylonians did. All night, Daniel and the lions having a talk. Right? They're, they're, they're sitting there staring at each other. The next morning, King gets up and runs to where the lion's den is, and Daniel's still there. Can imagine, morning, King. Right? What happened? God kept the mouths of the lions closed because Daniel was in there to be a servant of God. That's what leads to it right here. God saves Daniel because, because he did what he was asked to do. Three unexpected turns. After such a life, what does Daniel spend his time doing? This is really the focus I want us to think about here this morning. That's over in chapter 9. He prays. Now here in chapter 6, he prayed three times a day. There's an old spiritual that Daniel used to hike his windows up and he would pray three times a day. He prayed a lot, but in chapter 9, we have a prayer recorded for us very much toward the end of Daniel's life. Look what he focuses on. Look what he focuses on. Three things. First, he prays and confesses. Daniel 9, chapter, uh, chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. I, this is Daniel speaking, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we, speaking about all of the people of Israel, we, all of us, have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Now, most of his life we've been reading about, he was doing what God would want him to do. He doesn't say the people have done these things. He says we. We have sinned. When you pray to God, the first thing I would really suggest you do is admit that you are a sinner. God knows you are anyway. Confession ought to be the easiest thing you ever do when you're talking to God because God knows it anyway. God knows it anyway. Confession can be hard when it's going to be a surprise when you're talking to someone. There's no surprise. You know, I confess to God that I'm a sinner. He's not surprised or shocked. Confess. God knows it anyway. Lay out that you understand the failures and the problems and the sins that have gotten into your life and tell God about them. That's what Daniel did. In the second place, he prays and accepts responsibility for the situation they're in because of sin. Verses 13 through 14. All this calamity has come upon us Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. We have not obeyed his voice. We did this to ourselves. We're sinners. We haven't been listening. All the, the, these problems that are here today have come upon us. We're not listening to you, God. It's our fault. We brought it on ourselves. Most of the time, I mean, let's be honest. Most of the time, we don't like thinking about this, we create our own mess. 
We create our own problems. Sometimes, sure. Sometimes, right? Problems will come seemingly from out of nowhere, but most of the time we do it to ourselves, and then we spend a lot of time trying to say it's not really our fault at all. We compound it by wanting to blame anybody and everybody else, or throw the reason for it on the circumstance, or I don't know why things like this happen to me. Most of the time you do. Most of the time you do. Don't do that. Remember, Daniel's praying. God knows whose fault it is that the people aren't following him. When I'm praying to God, when I confess my sin, I need to accept responsibility. I've done this to myself. Certainly since God knows anyway. Pray and accept responsibility. In the third place, only then, only then does Daniel ask for forgiveness. Verses 17 through 19. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. O my God, incline your ear and hear. We do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. We don't go to God asking forgiveness because we're such great people. We don't go to God asking for forgiveness because I visited a hundred sick people this week. I prayed for six people who were ill. I fed a hundred people who were hungry. I did all these great things. Father, because of that, forgive me for the things I've done that are wrong. Nothing at all. We go to God not because of who we are, but because we know what we are, which is a sinner. It's only when we confess our sin, we accept responsibility that we did this to ourselves, that God really will hear and listen to a prayer asking for forgiveness. Look at it again. Listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. When we pray, that should be the focal point. Just like with the tax collector we heard this morning. God be merciful to me. So there are times when things don't work out and we didn't do a whole lot to cause it. I'm going to suspect overall that's a small percentage of the time. No way to know for sure, but I suspect most of the time it's not that situation. We do it ourselves. But when it doesn't work out, we don't know where it came from, pray to God and that in that small percentage of time where something happens that we didn't cause, pray to God, confess, accept responsibility, ask for forgiveness, just like that. Then there are times that things change because of sin that's in our life. Pray to God when that happens too. What does that mean, Gene? That means I'll be praying all the time on it. Because I pray when things happen to me that I don't cause, and I pray when things happen to me that I do cause. The key focus is <clears throat> the key focus is prayer, just like Daniel did for his nation. So when we had a slide earlier when we went to prayer, it said, "What do you need to tell God today? What do you need to tell God today?" I want you to think about that for just a moment. What do you need to tell God today? 
God knows we're sinners. He does. It may be that you feel the need to tell God, I am a sinner, and to ask for a collective prayer for forgiveness. It may be that you need to tell God that you're going to do better the next week than you think you've done this last week. You may need to take things to God because of stress or problems in your life that you didn't cause. You may need to pray to God and tell God about things in your life that you did contribute to. This week, this week, I really want to ask us to focus on prayer. Talk to God. You've got problems, take them to God. Things are going okay, thank God for that, and focus on people you know who are having problems. But there was a statement back on the previous page that said that God listens to people who follow after his laws. When people are in rebellion toward God, when people are not seeking God, when people are not members of his family, God doesn't hear them until they want to turn it in. Cornelius, Acts 10, right? He's a sinner. Prayers came before God. God heard them because Cornelius' heart was focused on God. God sends Peter to tell him the good news. Well, there is good news. If you're not yet a member of God's family, Jesus died for you. Jesus paid the price for all the sins you have ever committed, just like he had for the sins I have committed. You need to understand that that life and death of Jesus is the good news that God loves you so much that he allowed that to happen. The response to that should be that I will love God because he loved me first, even when I was unlovable. To decide to change your life from wrong to right, to repent, to become someone who seeks God instead of yourself, and then to become a member of God's family by dying to yourself in the waters of baptism to be raised up as a brand new person, just like Paul said. So... You need to come to God today. You need to talk to God today. If so, today is the day. Please don't let it slip away.